The spirit of performance is what defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. What is up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Bootleg Football Podcast. Uh, I'll tell you what, EJ, we are on a roll with having a whole bunch of episodes where we have no idea what we're going to talk about until about, uh, I don't know, eight hours before we record and all this news comes down the pipe and kind of rescues us. So we have a lot of news that's happened over the last couple days and even a lot of news that's happened today. We've got big contracts being signed, we've got holdouts, we've got potential trades, we have the, um, I would say, the final nail in the coffin of a, a franchise that we thought was going to be great for a long time and then ended up being themselves, Cough Cough Jacksonville. A uh, lot to go over this week, but before we get into all that, how you doing, buddy, and what are you drinking? I am fine. It is a very odd trend that we generally have a fairly light agenda until about midday on the day we're going to record, and then the big <laughs> contracts start dropping. It's almost like the NFL is listening, and they know that we need some content. So uh, they came through again today with Joe Mixon, but I am drinking uh, a uh, pre-prohibition uh, cream ale called Kiwanda Point from Pelican Brewing down in Oregon. It's on the coast. Uh, it's a recipe that they rescued, uh, again, from the pre-prohibition period, uh, late teens and early 20s. Um, very light, sort of golden-colored cream ale. Uh, starts off with a little bit of sweetness, has some bite on the end. I've had it before, but uh, it's delicious. It's sort of a great end-of-summer beer. Uh, what are you drinking for all this wonderful contract news and, and the burning of Jacksonville, for lack of a better term? Well, damn, great minds think alike, because I, I have a cream ale myself. Have you ever heard of uh, Mother Earth Brewing? Yes, I have. Okay, so they, they have a cream ale called Cali Creamin. Ooh. I, I normally don't drink cream ales, but this is the best damn cream ale I've ever had in my life. I can drink them literally all day. Uh, and, it, it, I mean, they go down so easy. It is, it, like you said, it's light, it's summery, um, it's phenomenal. It's it's really. I think it's their best beer, and Mother Earth is a really good brewery. Uh, if any of you guys you know live on the West Coast and you're familiar with them, you you probably uh, would agree with me. I think one of the better uh, smaller breweries we have out here on the West Coast. But uh, Mother Earth Cali Creamin cannot recommend it enough, especially uh, especially in summer. But 
Why don't we get into talking about this Joe Mixon deal? Because this came down the pipe. Let's see, we're recording almost 9 p.m. on a Tuesday night. This came down maybe six hours ago or something like that. Uh, Four-year extension with Cincinnati ties him to the team for five more years total. It's worth $48 million in the extension, so that's $12 million per year. He is 24 years old, same age as Chick, uh, not Chick Nub, Nick Chubb. Uh, <laughs> clearly, it's 9 p.m. on a Tuesday for me. Um, and even though it is, you know, 12 million, which sounds like a lot, that's that's only sixth uh, in terms of running back salaries right now, as of all the the big money contracts that have been signed. So he's right behind Derrick Henry, who signed not too long ago. So he is sixth, um, which to me, when you consider his talent. I, I can't name five running backs that are better than him. So I guess if we're kind of uh, looking at talent versus money spent on talent, this is a value. I know there's a philosophical discussion we can get into about whether you should pay running backs at all. But if we're just pretending that running back is a position you're supposed to pay, to me, getting a top five talent running back for less than top five money sounds like a pretty damn good deal. I'd say it's inline value. And again, uh, we've had this discussion. We'll have it again about whether or not you pay a running back or when you pay a running back. It's really that break point of the second contract. It's fine to draft a rookie high. Do you invest in that second contract? And we'll talk about that. But in terms of Joe Mixon's talent, his production, his fit within that offense, the fact that he's going to be a security blanket for Joe Burrow there in Cincinnati and a real uh, potent offensive option to hand off to as um, Joey sort of works his way into the league. It's, I would say, in value. It's not that they overpaid. They certainly didn't really underpay. Uh, But again, as more contracts start to get signed, he's going to drop in the overall rankings. That'll happen as soon as, you know, a little bit later this year and certainly into next year as two or three more running backs sign. He'll be down to 8th, ninth, 10th. Um, And I don't think his talent's going to drop off that quickly short of an injury. So, you know, I would say the Bengals are in line here. They didn't get a steal, you know, in terms of a bargain. They didn't wildly overpay. They paid a good productive player. And again, regardless of position, decent money. So he was last year, I I know the, the Bengals offense overall was kind of a dumpster fire. But when you look at his individual performance, within this Zach Taylor offense, which is very similar to all the other Shanahan-inspired, you know, West Coast systems, a lot of zone. Um, There's some, you know, RPOs mixed in here and there. I I felt like uh, they ran a little bit more gap than I expected. I thought they were really going to lean mostly into outside zone, but there was some gap kind of thrown in, um, which kind of was more reflective of the Kyle Shanahan side of things than the Sean McVay side of things. Uh, but Mixon, he's the kind of running back that can run any of them. You know, some, some running backs are really more slashers. They're only really good in zone. Um, I think of like Arian Foster, who was really comfortable in a zone system, not so much in gap. And then you've got guys like Le'Veon Bell, who I think are really more comfortable in gap schemes. Mixon's one of the rare breed that it doesn't matter what you're running. You can run power, you can run uh, counter, you can run outside zone, inside zone, duo, whatever you want to do. Um, and, and he's he's elite at it. You know, he was top five in broken tackles last year, and he only had to break that many tackles because his offensive line was terrible. Still put up 1,400 total yards, still put up about eight touchdowns, you know, on a on a Bengals team that was pretty horrific, as evidenced by the fact they had the first overall pick. He was their lone bright spot, and he had almost nothing around him, truth be told. So I think when you look at his 
again, I say talent, the versatility, uh, the role he plays as an every down back, the fact that he is a, a supremely gifted weapon for a young quarterback uh, in Joe Burrow that he can use out of the backfield. And we know Joe loves throwing the running backs. Just ask Clyde Edwards-Alaire. Uh, this is one of the rare instances where I'm okay with paying a running back because, again, the quarterback is so cheap. They have a lot of money to work with. And I, I think um, just for, for what they have else on the roster, Mixon is so far above every other running back they have. He was kind of irreplaceable to them anyway. Uh, so, again, I'm, I'm totally fine with this deal. It's rare circumstances when I'm fine with paying a running back big money, but this is one of the few that I will absolutely accept. Yeah, he's demonstrated his ability in multiple areas, like you said. Uh, it's not just that he can run multiple schemes. It's what he does with those runs, and he's gifted in space, speed, power. He's got good size, comes in about 220, uh, very good catching the ball. Super fluid athlete. Um, One of my favorite things about him catching the ball is how quickly he secures the ball and turns up field. It's just a snap for him. And he's got very good hands, uh, very few fumbles, just a multifaceted weapon that can contribute for the offense in multiple ways. So, again, getting back to running backs and and how they contribute to the offense, if if you've got a one-trick pony, probably not worth big money. Uh, Joe Mixon is not. A one-trick pony. And, you know, I I do want to talk about Alvin Kamara a little bit, who's also not a one-trick pony, but I think in terms of paying him, it's a much different situation. You know, we're seeing kind of a holdout situation develop in New Orleans who does not have the money that Cincy has. You know, Cincy, I think, has 60-plus million next year in cap space, so they kind of have money to throw around on an expendable position like running back. New Orleans right now is projected to be almost $38 million over the cap before they do restructures, before they do cuts and all that kind of stuff. And we're expecting the cap to go down next year, so they're really in trouble. You know, Cam Jordan, ironically, when I tweeted out that number, Cam Jordan responded to me on Twitter and, and you know, kind of tongue-in-cheek said, like, hey, Mickey's going to figure it out. Uh, and then literally the next day we see reports about Kamara uh, being on the trading block. So I know Cam loves Kamara. I know Cam wants him to stay on the team and, and he doesn't believe he's going to be traded. But as much as we like to make fun of, of the fact that the Saints really take the salary cap as more of a suggestion than a rule, at some point the tax man is going to come due. And $38 million over the cap is $38 million over the cap. Like you, you cannot pay Ryan Ramchek. You cannot pay Martian Lattimore. While you're also paying, you know, Taysom Hill ten million and Alvin Kamara fifteen million, like it's just not possible. It's really not possible. And if keep in mind, if Drew Brees retires after this season, it's a oh, like a twenty two point six million dollar dead cap hit. So like, it's not even that easy for them to wiggle out of it. So I I love Kamara as a player. You know, you could argue that he's just as talent or at least close to being the talent level of Mixon I think Mixon does a lot of the things that Kamara does just in a bigger stronger package uh, but it's a different situation than the Bengals because the Saints just flat out do not have any money yeah they're in a deep hole uh, I often say that the salary cap is a myth but you're right there is a point at which you can't push it farther past or it's going over the cliff And the Saints are really staring at that, especially with what you said about Breeze. If he just decides at the end of this year, that's a huge chip. Uh, Because not only do you lose talent at the quarterback position, you can say what you want about Taysom Hill. He is most certainly not Drew Breeze. 
Um, but that Taysom Hill contract looks a little, little interesting right now. And if Breeze decides to hang him up after the year, that is a major rock around the neck of the Saints. $22 million in dead cap, especially with a possibly decreasing cap, as you mentioned. That's a huge chip that they're going to have to sort of work around. And magicians or not, as Cam Jordan tweeted back to you, the magic's going to run out. You can't, uh, there's certain things even magicians can't do, and, and they're going to find out what some of those are because, again, it's not a, oh, we could trim a little here, restructure there, cut one guy, and we're good. Um, $38 million as a percentage of the cap is extremely large, especially if it goes down. Yeah, I mean, Laramie Tunsil, who's an elite left tackle, uh, at least by metric, you know, some, you know, the false starts are a problem, but in terms of like actual pass protection metrics, Laramie Tunsil's an elite left tackle. He's making over 20 million a year. Ryan Ramchek has almost identical pass protection metrics to uh, Laramie Tunsil while playing against overall a murderer's row of pass rushers as a right tackle, and he has less penalties. So if Laramie Tunsil's getting over 20 million a year, guess what? Ryan, Ryan Ramchek's going to get 20 million as well. So you can't pay a running back while you're paying a, a, a tackle $20 million. Marshawn Lattimore, again, corners a fairly irreplaceable position, all things considered. He's going to get at least 15 I have to imagine. You know, it's it's not a doable thing. So if they unload him, it's it's got to be to a team that has a whole lot of money, uh, to a team that I think can use his skill set, uh, to a team that's willing to pay him. Uh, you know, I... There's not a whole lot of teams that I think fit that description. One of the only ones I can think of, and this is kind of a wild-ass idea, and since you're a Pacific Northwesterner, maybe you can correct me on this. <laughs> because Seattle has so much money next year, and they're trying to make a run right now, would you trade for him as a compliment to Chris Carson? Uh, or even if you want to run, you know, 21 personnel with Carson and Kamara, since Kamara can also flex into the slot, and then do like a front-loaded two-year deal next year with all that money? Like, would you do that if you were the Seahawks and just kind of make a run at it right now? You could, and let's be clear, I like Kamara as a player a lot. Like, I'm, I'm not neutral on Kamara. I think he's a very talented running back, especially in the passing game probably one of the top five running backs in the NFL in terms of talent within the passing game. However, it's just so sort of uh, constitutionally opposed to what the Seahawks do or value in running backs. I can't see them doing it. Whether I'd do it or not is sort of irrelevant compared to the fact that the Seahawks really do believe that running back is an incredibly fungible position, that they can get more. Um, they just drafted a guy who has been lighting up camp in DJ Dallas from Miami, a guy I thought was kind of underutilized because, again, he was in a bit of a garbage fire as an offense. Um, I just thought he had more talent. And Carson's been out with an injury um, for a little bit of camp or a family situation. I forget which, but basically hasn't been taking reps. And DJ Dallas has been getting a ton of looks. And is doing extremely well. And they got DJ Dallas in the late round. So the idea of going out and paying a guy, a premier guy, like Kamara, big money, 
seems almost antithetical to the sort of, hey, let's let Russ cook and have him throw the ball and and use some of these wide receivers that we brought in uh, to sort of really expand the offense and not drag along for two or three quarters, get behind and then say, okay, now do it, Russ. Like the idea that a little more passing balance would come earlier for the Hawks in the game plan um, doesn't really jive with grabbing a guy or trading for a guy like Alvin Kamara, whether or not you have the money and dumping a big lot of money on him. They really believe in Chris Carson. I think they believe they've got a good 80 or 85% of him sitting behind in DJ Dallas. They're extremely happy with his progress as a rookie. I just can't sort of as a core fiber thing in Seattle, see them doing that. I just, I can't really think of any other teams that, that have money and like want to make a run that would justify trading for a running back. I'm well, there is one I can think of, but I know it would never ever happen just because of who they are. And that's Atlanta. They would never ever trade Alvin Kamara to Atlanta, you know, in division. No, I wouldn't either. That's uh that seems like a little bit of suicide from a divisional perspective, but it's, you know, I can think of so many good fits for his skill set but what you're talking about is the sort of surrounding halo of do they have money where are they positioned with contract um are they set up as a team to make a run and it just seems like if you're one player away that one player is almost never a running back in the modern nfl so that makes it just sort of a blurrier picture like would i love to see him uh in the Kenyon drake role in arizona like Oh, oh yeah. yeah, that would be amazing. Would I love to see what you know Kyle Shanahan could do with him in San Francisco? Yeah, absolutely. And I think Kyle Shanahan would love that too. I don't think John Lynch wants to pay him the money. And again, San Francisco is very much about having replaceable running backs. We've seen that they want one skill. It's not the skill Kamara's best at. He can certainly do it, which is get out, make one speed cut, and get upfield. He's he's absolutely capable of playing that game. And yeah, they like to throw to their backs as well, but they're never going to drop, you know, 12, 13, 14, 15 million dollars on a running back because they just don't believe in it. And they can get, frankly, they can get by without it. Here's one. What do you think about the Raiders pairing him with Josh Jacobs? Because the Raiders, believe it or not, like they're, they're, like the Raiders are a pretty complete roster right now. Mm -hmm. Uh, I like, they're a lot better team than I think people think they are. Like, even with Tyrell Williams going on IR, like, you and I love Brian Edwards. We love Henry mm-hmm. Ruggs. Like, I think they're fine at the skill positions. Um, and they truly might be, like, an X factor away. And if you're if you're rotating in Josh Jacobs with Alvin Kamara and you're taking KC head on and just saying, like, look, we know you're going to score 30. We're going to score 35. Hell, that might make sense, too. It's interesting, but I, I wonder how many snaps... In, you know, honestly, Alvin Kamara would take from Josh Jacobs because Josh Jacobs had a very, very good and and what I would call complete rookie season. Oh, 100%. I just don't, yeah, I just don't think he would take that many snaps. Um, I don't think it would be about taking. I think it's about preserving because remember, Jacobs right. got banged up last year. Well, and I'm, yeah, and I'm also looking, I just pulled up the Raiders roster really quickly and I'm looking at depth and, you know, Theo Riddick, 59201 Jalen Richard 58205 Josh Jacobs who we've talked about 
Interestingly enough, Lynn Bowden Jr., the rookie from Kentucky, they have listed as a running back. Now, he was a bit of a do-all at Kentucky. He played quarterback for them. He played a little bit of wide receiver, which is really what I thought he was going to be drafted at. They have him listed on the running on the roster as a running back, which is fascinating. 5'11", 204. So he gives them, quite honestly, a little bit of that Camara vibe. And if they believe that he can spell Jacobs again, I don't think they're gonna they're gonna go do that. But really, the way I'd have to look at that was, what if Josh Jacobs goes down, right? Oh yeah. If Josh <laughs> Jacobs goes down, you're looking at Theo Riddick, Jalen Richard, and Lynn Bowden Jr., who I like a lot, but is a rookie and is a bit more of a sort of wild card. And then as the hammer, they've got Devonte Booker as well, um, out of Utah, his fifth season, five eleven, two nineteen, that bigger guy. So he would take the sort of shorter yardage carries, the the goal line stuff. Uh, but boy, staring at that roster without Josh Jacobs, Kamara makes sense as a extremely high priced insurance package. Um, but I think if you know Josh Jacobs is really the closest thing to a bell cow back in the NFL that we've got going. He got a ton of touches last year. You're right. He got a little dinged up. But if he was absent from that roster, uh, Camaro would look really good. If he's there, I just sort of question the fit. And, you know, it's it's for that reason that I w- maybe they would even say, Alvin, look, come in. Somebody's going to get hurt. We'll trade you midseason. And you can go to somebody who's going to pay you. But we need you to come in the building. Ooh, like, the double move. <laughs> You're talking about the, the two the two ball bank in pool, right? Um that's interesting. Uh I hadn't thought of it from that aspect, but we could go down a pretty I, I deep rabbit hole. <laughs> I don't know if anyone's gonna trade for him the week before the season. You know, no. but if somebody gets hurt you know. Oh yeah. I mean if if he's available and you are truly out a running back, there are rosters around the NFL that are um I would say uh, not necessarily weak, but would look a lot worse. Hey, if, if David like, Johnson like goes the down, if David Johnson goes down, yep. I'm not saying David Johnson's got that much juice left because I, you know, he's got an injury history himself. We'll see what he looks like. Uh, I again, my hopes aren't super high as a Texans fan, but if he goes down, your lead back is Duke Johnson. Like, and we know Bill O'Brien's willing to trade see, away assets. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I. <laughs> I'm a Duke Johnson stand, so I might not be the best one for that argument. I, I love I Duke Johnson too, but I think it's become clear that he's never going to be a 20 touch a game kind of guy, regardless of how much we love him. Because every single coaching no. staff he's ever played for refuses to give him more than seven or eight touches. I don't no, know why, he's complimentary. But... He's complimentary for sure, and I and I'm not saying that you know he's anywhere near Alvin Kamara, but he has a similar skill set. It's not actually that far away. He's not as good as Kamara when he gets the ball in his hands, but. I, I think he's quite good, but you're right. It's He's not a Josh Jacobs in terms of being a bell cow back, in terms of being, well, lots of touches guy. That's that's not going to happen. So there are those rosters around the league that, yeah, if your lead back goes down, all of a sudden your running back room looks uh, kind of not diverse enough or, or pretty thin, quite frankly, talent-wise, and Alvin Kamara's available. If you've got money, yeah, you go do that because – Honestly, it's an upgrade to most players around the league, but doing it as a complimentary thing seems crazy expensive to me. Yeah, it's it's going to take the right team. It's going to take the right situation. My theory 
he's going to end up playing for the Saints, and the only way he gets traded is if somebody gets hurt. That's I think that's the only way this happens, and he's just he's going to have to deal with it. He's not going to be a Saint next year. Uh, I highly doubt he's going to be a Saint next year. I, I just don't see any scenario where that happens because of because of finances. And he's, you know, he and his agent are going to have to suck it up. He's going to have to play really well. He's going to go have to, you know, hit the market and earn the money that that he thinks that honestly everybody thinks he's earned. Um, and I think he's perfectly capable of doing that. Fingers crossed he doesn't get hurt because uh, I really don't want to see him get hurt before he gets that big payday. But I just, it's not, it's not going to happen before week one. It's, it's just not, you know, the, the money's not there. But with that being said, uh, I do want to move on to something a little bit more, say, uh, easy to talk about, and that's shaving your balls, he said facetiously. I want to thank our sponsor for this week, Manscaped, who, if you've watched my YouTube show for the last few years, you know them well. They've been a very loyal sponsor for me, and they've blown up in the the men's hygiene world, I guess you could say, over the last few years. Uh, They've been a success story that I've really loved to see. You know, they started out on Shark Tank, and now they're in Target. You know, and and they're a really great company. They they grow so much because uh, their product is really excellent. And they just developed and, and kind of released this past year their new flagship trimmer. It's called the Lawnmower 3.0. It is an upgrade in every possible way over the Lawnmower 2.0, which I used for a couple years uh, before the release of the 3.0. And I, I can attest to how much of an upgrade it is. It it feels phenomenal. You know, it's got a really powerful 7,000 RPM motor. Still the same skin safe technology, still the same ceramic blades. I have never cut myself once in dozens upon dozens of trims, so I know you're not going to cut yourself either. Uh, The new lithium ion battery lasts for up to 90 minutes on one charge. No slip grip handle. I use it in the shower all the time. Never dropped it once. Uh, It's got multiple trimmer guards you can use, built-in LED lights. You can see exactly what you're looking at. It's got every feature you could ever want in a full-body trimmer built specifically for men. And I absolutely love it. Even my wife, uh, she bought one for herself because I've loved using mine. So she uses that as well. Uh, you know, it's, I can't speak highly enough about it. I really encourage you guys to check it out. And of course, with the release of the Lawnmower 3.0, they also released the Perfect Package 3.0, which is a discounted package that includes the lawnmower, the anti-chafing ball deodorant, which I have also used for many, many years now, the ball toner and refresher. They got three shaving mats in there, a travel and storage bag, and a pair of performance anti-chafing boxers. You can get all of that with a 20% discount with free shipping, all with promo code bootleg at manscaped.com. Again, that's manscaped.com, and if you see any products you like there, whether it's trimmers, whether it's, uh, you know, shampoos, anything, use promo code BOOTLEG, gets you 20% discount and free shipping. And with that, let's move on to um, kind of a, a weird topic, and that is the funeral of the Jacksonville Jaguars. Uh, I, I, you know, after the 2017 season when we saw them go all the way to the AFC Championship game, and I, as a Texans fan, was looking on in horror at the future that I thought I was going to have going up against the Saxonville defense and Leonard Fournette and, you know, uh, you know Allen Robinson and all these, these great young players that they had on the roster at that time. You know, Robinson was, you know, he, he had an ACL tear at the time, but I didn't think that they were going to let him go to Chicago at the time. I was looking at this roster and I was saying, damn, this is the most talented roster outside of quarterback in the entire AFC. We're going to have to deal with this for a long, long time. Three years later, they have four players 
uh, four remaining starters from that 2017 AFC Championship team still on the roster. It's three of the offensive linemen, uh, Linder and who was it? I know it was Linder. It was, that's right, A.J. Can and uh, Cam Robinson, who was a rookie that year, rookie left tackle that year. And then the only defensive starter they still have is Miles Jack. It's it's incredible to me how many guys that were on that team that are no longer there. Jalen Ramsey, A.J. Boye, uh, Calais Campbell, Yannick Ngakwe, Telvin Smith is retired. Uh, well, Telvin Smith has a lot more going on than just retirement, but he's no longer in the league. Uh, you know, Leonard Fournette was just released. Uh, as I mentioned before, Allen Robinson, no longer there. He's in Chicago. They let him slip away for some reason. Blake Bortles is now a backup uh, elsewhere in the league. Like, it's, it is remarkable to see how much turnover they've had for such a talented team, how much talent they drove away with their own actions. You could argue that Tom Coughlin's leadership style was a big contributor in breaking up that team. I... I don't know if I've ever seen such a dominant roster so horrifically mismanaged over the next couple of seasons, both by the front office, by coaches. Um, it's it's truly incredible. Like even the team that they played against in that championship game, the the Patriots, who have lost a lot of players themselves, including Tom Brady, including Rob Gronkowski, you know Kyle Van Noy, a lot of contributors from that team. They still have over double the amount of remaining starters still on their roster that Jacksonville did. Like, it's... I've never seen this, and I don't think I'm ever going to see this again. The 30 for 30 on it is going to need to be, like, three hours long because it's it's that crazy. (laughs) Can you recall Uh, a dominant team falling apart that quickly? Because I sure can't. It's the speed, I think, and the the completeness of the sort of whole scale destruction. We've seen plenty of fire sales before teams, you know, load up, come up against the cap for as much as we talk about the cap as being a a fallacy. They come up against the cap. They realize, Oh, we've hit our window. We've mismanaged. That's it. We got to get rid of our, our older stars for sure. And some of our higher price talent, but it's the, the completeness of the sort of, like you said, failure by the front office, the speed at which it occurred. So that was the 2017 team, right? Yeah. And if you look at their, just their, just another facet of the team, how do you build a team through the draft, right? I'm a draft guy. I believe in that. If you look at their history of just first round picks since, I mean, you can go back to 2010 with Tyson Alualu. But really, from 2011 to 2017, you're talking about Blaine Gabbert, Justin Blackman, Luke Jokel, Blake Bortles, Dante Fowler Jr., Jalen Ramsey, and Leonard Fournette, none of whom are still with the team. Like, a lot of those guys are still in the league. Blaine Gabbert's a backup. Luke Jokel's around. Blake Bortles, like you said, backup Dante Fowler out west. Jalen Ramsey with him. Leonard Fournette currently, uh, you know, which is why we're talking about this, was released. Cleared waivers going unclaimed. Now, he was still on his rookie deal. He was the fourth overall pick in 2017. And I think people forget about this. And certainly being a Chicago fan, I'm going to bring it up. They picked Fournette at number four overall. Instead of any of the QBs on the board, because they had Blake Bortles. Yikes. Who's currently a free agent, by the way. He was a backup uh, with the Rams last year. Still not signed. Yeah, I'm like, 
oh, this is just sort of the cautionary tale. I mean, I think the whole thing, like you said, Coughlin's leadership, how to treat your first round picks, how to uh, curate a defense, all the talent you named now, largely, except for Miles Jack, all gone. Yannick Ngakwe shot his way out of town, feuding with the owner. Forget the coach. Usually they take shots at the coach. Ngakwe didn't stop there. He went right to the owner, started a feud with him. And the crazy thing about this, and there's been several articles written on this over the last week, he left $4 bucks on the table, took mm-hmm. a pay cut to go to Minnesota. Now, as a franchise tag player, that's unprecedented to leave $4 million. Say, I'll take $4 million less to go somewhere else and play. And the NFLPA is in no way happy about this, right? It sets a terrible precedent for tagged players because their job really is to make the most money for their members. And Yannick Ngakwe just thumbed his nose at Jacksonville and said, no, I will actually take $4 million less to get out of here. That's a, that's a bad sign overall. But the completeness of this fire sale, destruction, failure from management, how to treat first round picks, how to keep defensive talent on board. Um, I, I think when you add all those things up, no, I haven't seen anything that's happened that quickly within three seasons going from basically the AFC championship game to we're starting almost completely over. We have some leftover offensive linemen, most of you, uh, two out of three who you probably couldn't name, and we have Miles Jack, and we have nothing else left from that team. That's staggering. It's horrific. It's, I I literally have no comparison to it. I, I literally have no comparison to it. Like, in terms of uh, flashes in the pan in NFL history, they are a unique place at the top to me. They really are. And I think they are a learning moment for the NFL in terms of, and when I say for the NFL, I mean for for you know front offices around the league. I think they're a learning moment using Tom Coughlin as an example of how not to scare away players. You know, I think over the last many years, really over the last decade, I would say that players have started to realize that they have a hell of a lot more leverage than they knew about before. It, you know, it teams. It always used to be, okay, well, we've got the money. You you do what we say. And now I think players are more taking a leadership role and saying, well, you're not going to win without me. So I'm going to do what I'm going to do. And I, I think any culture, like the one Tom Coughlin was trying to build, that suppresses individuality, that punishes guys for even the most minor mundane infractions, it's going to drive talented players away. You know, you can't treat these guys like children. And do you want them to be mature and all that kind of stuff? Yeah, I'm not saying you go out and get a bunch of guys that are lazy, but the age of suppressing individuality and the age of being a hard ass, it doesn't work with players of this generation. They will leave. They will force their way out. They will take $4 million pay cuts to go to a team uh, that will let them be them. You know, Jalen Ramsey wanted out. Obviously, Yannick wanted out. Leonard Fournette was clashing with them. Like it's it's no mystery that this team, uh, from a management perspective, was totally ill-equipped to handle this generation of players. 
And so I think it's an excellent learning moment for the rest of the league of you have to let your stars be themselves. I'm not saying allow them to be late to meetings. I'm not saying allow them, you know, to go get in trouble off the field, but you can't suppress who they are as people or else guess what? They're going to force their way out. They have, and they have realized that they have the power to do that. You know, you can't unring that bell. Same thing's happening at the college level. We're seeing more and more, and I've been talking to recruiters about this, like people that work in recruiting uh, departments at major D1, like Power 5 universities, how the new age of recruiting is less about facilities and more about how they are going to help uh, student athletes create brands for themselves, you know, as we kind of potentially transition to an age where college athletes are able to make money off their own likeness. You know, uh, recruiting departments are now emphasizing on visits like, hey, here's how we can create a brand for you and how you can make money. You know, it's it's a new age in terms of how you handle young athletes. And either you get with the program and figure out how young athletes think or they will leave. <laughs> that's, that's flat yeah. out what it's like now. So I hope Jacksonville learned their lesson Maybe they didn't, maybe they did, but I, I guarantee you that other successful teams have learned the lesson, like Baltimore, that is very much player first. Kansas City, very much player first. I think they learned from Jacksonville, and I think they're going to be successful and attract talent to them because of that. Yeah, I, I can think of two things that are sort of major points off what you said, and the first one dovetails exactly with how you need to treat players uh, as complete people, as humans, uh, what you need to allow them to do. And I can't think of a better example of that currently in the NFL than the one that's closest to me, which is Pete Carroll in Seattle. Mm -hmm. Especially this week, talking about um, you need to listen to athletes, you need to listen to young black athletes, you need to listen to black Americans in general. Couldn't be prouder of Pete Carroll and that message. Um, certainly resonated with his team. We saw Jamal Adams, who is very new to the team, tweet out this week, I love this organization. I love everything about it. I love every facet of what's going on here. And that's the kind of organization that folks are going to want to play for. And like you said, we'll even possibly take a pay cut in the future to get to where, hey, I can't do what I want here in my current home team situation. If I go play for Pete, he's going to let me lead. He's going to let me be myself. He's going to encourage me to be a person, a whole person on and off the field. Um, somebody else tweeted this week, look, he's not running a football team. He's running a young, um, basically a, a, a young men's development program uh, <laughs> that's teaching them that they can be the very best they can be in all facets of society. And he's expecting them to sort of go forward from this point and use their platform for change. That's much more accurate in terms of what Pete Carroll's doing. Does he have football success on top of it? He does. The Seahawks record speaks for itself. Uh, but that's the kind of atmosphere that is the opposite of the old school sort of 1950s heavy discipline. You said hard ass. I think that's totally applicable that's just not going to work anymore. And players are realizing, like you said, at all levels, we saw Nick Saban leaving the Alabama team in mm -hmm. a social justice march on campus. Um, Wouldn't have seen that five old, years ago. Nope. We saw <laughs> Old Miss, right? We're talking about heart of the South, the Old Miss team this, this week 
social justice march, heading to the campus administration buildings, basically kind of had a sit-in protest, um, exercising their right. I don't think they would have dared five years ago. And that's a bad thing, right? What's what's happening now is very much more in line with we have power. You talked about making money off your likeness. We can stand up for the things we believe in, whether or not they're sort of acceptable. The whole stick to sports mantra is is really crumbling before our eyes, and I couldn't be happier about that. So allowing players to realize that they have that power and, and sort of manage it appropriately is is definitely the new model. Now I'm going to throw one at you because uh, this is this is point two because you're a Texans fan. <laughs> okay. Bill O'Brien, not the greatest oh, at God. doing that. Nope. Uh-huh. And Deshaun Watson, leader of that team, pretty much undeniably, has seen a lot of his, uh, well, let's just say a lot of the assets that would help him removed, uh, the situation that would help him win, um, not not bettered particularly in the most part uh and deshaun watson i think is is a very aware young man and he knows what kind of power he has and uh the current situation is only reinforcing that so would you be surprised uh you know spoiler alert i would not if deshaun watson says forget it quit messing with it quit messing with me i'm the reason that you're leaning on to win games because you got rid of all the rest of this. You're just expecting me to be a magician full time. I'm not going to do it anymore. I could tell you this for a fact. If Deshaun went to ownership, if he went to the McNair family and said, Bob or me choose, they choose Deshaun every time, every single time. Can you, can you get him a memo? Can, can, can we speed but, but that Deshaun, process up? But Deshaun's not like that. He's not going to do that. I know. You know, he's too I good know. of a person to do that. But if he did it, or rather if his agent, uh, he is a phenomenal agent, David Mulligetta, uh, if his agent quietly went to the McNairs and said, look, your T-minus two years till he leaves, figure it out, Yep, stuff would change. Guaranteed. Yeah, and I would hope so. I mean, I love the entertainment factor of Bob as a coach and a GM, especially as a GM. Um, I'm sorry about that because that is me laughing at your expense as a Texans fan. But uh, Bob's just such a such a wild card in terms. He's of, a good coach, but a terrible general manager, and that's yeah, the thing. He's his own worst enemy as a general. If they manager. just hired a general manager like how they used to have when Bob was a coach and there was somebody else building the roster, it was fine. They were winning playoff games with Brock freaking Osweiler. It was fine. (laughs) If they just go back to that, and honestly, the Nick Casario thing where the Patriots blocked it and there was the grievance, that that torpedoed everything because he was going to be GM, Bob trusted him, and as soon as that went up in flames, O'Brien then took over as GM and he's not going to give up the power again. Like yeah, it's, it's unfortunate, especially for Deshaun Watson. But I can just see Deshaun Watson. I, I agree with you. Phenomenal young man, great head on his shoulders. Uh, doesn't seem to have a sort of vengeful bone in his body in terms of uh, you know opposing players, maybe, but <laughs> uh, his own team certainly not. And gosh, I just would like to see the bulk of his career not wasted with uh, really, like you said. Um, lousy GMing decisions not so much lousy coaching decisions he seems to win in spite of those yes but eventually the GM shortfalls are 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 gonna add up um 
I would hate to see him, you know, overtly injured. And uh, yeah, we just, it seems like of all the people, that might be the moment at which Deshaun says, nope, I'm not going to do this. Get it straight. I'll give you another example. And this kind of brings it full circle back to, you know, the Ngakwe and the, and the Fournette thing, particularly the Ngakwe trade. The team he went to, Minnesota, are the exact opposite of Jacksonville in the sense that they understand um, player development, player freedom, culture building, all that kind of stuff. And Mike Zimmer, he's a hard ass too, but he... He, it's tempered, he, but he still lets his guys be his guy. Like he is very much a player. Yeah, he's coach. not going to die on that hill, right? And Coughlin was. Yes, yeah. and you know if you watch Mike Zimmer, like he coaches these guys hard, but he's always fair, and he lets them be themselves. And there is a culture that has developed there, where players take pay cuts to play for Zimmer. Adam Thielen, um, or at least when he got got his first extension, he was paid less than he should have been, and then he eventually, you know, signed another extension where he got paid over sixteen million. But, uh, but the first extension that he got in twenty seventeen, he was paid four point eight million a year, and that was three years ago. Yeah, and you know now he's paid sixteen point two. But again, he he took a lot less money than he should have. Eric Hendricks has only paid ten million. C.J. Mosley's paid like seventeen. Um, yeah. You know, Bobby Wagner's paid eighteen. Anthony Barr was going to sign with the Jets and then decided against it, went back to Minnesota. Daniil Hunter, he's making significantly under market value at about $14 million. Everson Griffin, when he signed his first big extension, made significantly less than he should have. Uh, you know, we've seen over and over and over again guys take less money, particularly the ones that play under Zimmer on the defensive side of the ball because they love him. They take less money to be there because the culture is good. So the number one lesson the NFL can learn from Jacksonville is that if you have a good culture, you will get paid back in the salary cap. You know, the same thing happened with New England. They have a good culture, a winning culture. Players take less to be there. If you are a losing team with a losing culture, the price tag that players are willing to take goes up because they know they're going to have to put up with extra shit. That's just how it is. You want to win games, and you want to win games on the cheap, build a good locker room. There's very few teams that I think are doing it the right way. Minnesota's one of them, Baltimore, San Francisco. Obviously, New England's been that way for two decades. Uh, Seattle's another one. Um, but I would say there's there's more teams with uh, bad locker rooms than there are teams with cohesive locker rooms that are willing, that are getting players willing to take pay cuts. Um, it's, it's one of the more underrated skills I think in coaching. And if I'm hiring a head coach before I even look at what he's doing X's and O's wise, I'm asking him how he's going to build a culture. Cause in the end, I think that's what makes the difference. Yeah. It, like you said, it's just, it makes good business sense. And I think that fact alone gets underrated. People think, well, if they'll just do what I say, <laughs> we'll win. And that's an antiquated notion that's changing ever more rapidly in the current situation. So uh, adjusting to that, realizing that the sands are shifting, um, being ahead of that curve makes good business sense. And that's something that owners typically tend to get behind, right? 
things that not only grant their franchise wins because they realize that increases the bottom line, but things that make good business sense in terms of, hey, we had to pay that guy several million dollars less and he's a talent. We got him over some other teams. That's a competitive advantage. Owners can get behind that as well. So uh, when the money starts to turn, attitudes start to turn as well. And let's just hope that happens because it is, you know, I, Jacksonville fans, I feel for you. If if that had been my team, uh, and I look at that team from 2017, and I look at the fact that there's four people remaining that started from that AFC Championship team on my current team, and I, I don't have a very strong sense of hope for the future about where they're going, I'm, I'm maybe hopeful that they could do okay, but they're going to be scrappy for a couple of years, right? They're not going to be challenging for the division. That's just a rough picture from all, and it's not that they couldn't collect the talent. This isn't a team that couldn't scout or couldn't draft because you talk about all those people that they had that are now elsewhere playing in the league. That is an immense amount of talent on the NFL landscape, like a concentration of that talent on one team is everything Brett said in the opening. A team that opposing teams look at in the in the conference and go, "Oh man, we're going to be scaling that mountain for years to come. That is a that is a tough out." And I don't think most teams look at Jacksonville, especially right now, as a tough out. So, <laughs> right and right now I'm looking at them as uh, you know, Trevor Lawrence's, you know, new hometown. I I can't think of any team that's worse than them right now, and that says a lot. Yeah, I just recorded a pod, my other pod, uh, Bears Over Beers, previous to this, and we did our betting episode, our annual betting episode, and and the structure for that, if you haven't heard it before, is uh, there's three of us, and we do a snake draft, and you have to pick three teams for overs, three teams for unders, three division winners, and a Super Bowl winner. So you need to make 10 picks overall. Um, And yeah, Jacksonville's current odds for over-under for wins is four and a half. And uh, my co-host Jeff Burgess was was very tempted to take take them as one of the unders, which is is saying something. I couldn't do that. I couldn't I couldn't bet against Gardner Minshew to not come up with with five wins. But uh, if it, I I could I could see it happening. I think he'll will them to more than that. But the fact that that's even in the conversation, a mere three seasons removed from that 2017, you know, Saxonville powerhouse team, is uh, a cautionary tale. I think it says a lot that if Gardner Minshew gets hurt, they won't win a game. Yes. <laughs> who, who's, I, who's their, who's their yeah, backup? no, I, it's, it's not a good situation for sure. Um, a lot of people have brought up the tanking term this week, uh, which is funny to me because, Again, I saw on Twitter, for years I've been told that Leonard Fournette's not that good, and now that they let him go, they're saying they're tanking. (laughs) How how does that work? Uh, I thought that was a very savvy comment, but it really is, as you said in the opening, just kind of the last nail in the coffin, right? The last first-round pick from that 2010 to 2017 run that is no longer with the team, that they're not getting a return on. It's not that he was uber-talented on the field. Like, Leonard Fournette, good short-yardage runner. Uh, If you need three yards, he's going to get it for you. You know, if you need one yard, he's going to get you three. If you need five yards, he's going to get you three. Um, <laughs> that's that's what he's good at. He's not tremendously gifted in the passing game. He's still got value. It is a bit surprising to me that he cleared waivers. But the bottom line is he's not playing for the team that drafted him. They're getting nothing for him. They flat out released him. Um, that's 
that's just not a way to to build a football team. You do realize the Bears are totally going to sign him, right? Oh, that's a whole nother pod, Brett. <laughs> yeah, get some I'm extra need, beers ready for that I one. I was going to say, one <laughs> glass for beer, one glass for tears. I, I hope not because, uh, well, I just hope not in general. Not again because I have anything against um, Leonard Fournette. Um, I'm actually friends with his uncle, but that's, again, a story for another pod. Um, oh, he's not going to play running back. He's going to play tight end. They they dipped uh, below twelve tight ends. They need to get back. He's back gonna back up. no. He's gonna he's gonna replace Bobby Massey at right tackle. What's oh, that? that's that's what it is. Yeah, well, he's a couple biscuits away from doing it. That's for damn sure. Can he punt? <laughs> Not that I don't like Pat O'Donnell, but uh, can he kick? You know, Cairo Santos, Eddie Pinero, can he kick? He could probably Anyways. throw better than Mitch. <laughs> we jest, but uh, if Leonard Fournette ends up as a bear, yes, we will be having a special uh, <laughs> newsflash emergency of, bootleg of, podcast. Yeah, emergency bootleg <laughs> podcast. Listen to EJ drown his sorrows in in classic fashion. But let's let's hope that doesn't come to pass. But um, what do we got going on? We've got uh, we've got big things in the works. You want to tease any of them? So, uh, we did a little tester with our buddy Brandon, um, who, is, who is testing out uh, some live streaming options for us. So, I think we're going to start doing uh, some live streams so you can see our beautiful faces when we talk about football. Uh, and also, as the season kind of gets underway, I think we're going to start doing pods more frequently. Uh, I certainly uh, want to see if we can do a, a, a drunken Brett post-game recap disaster uh type thing after we get throttled by the chiefs next thursday night (laughs) that might be a terrible idea but but... that sounds so tantalizing um yeah no that's amazing so we are coming out with video we've uh something that many of you have asked for on on youtube and in the comments on twitter uh it's going to give us the ability to do some fun stuff, to live stream, to record video that we're going to then post to YouTube, and of course to have to get guests. Um, uh, very popular format these days. Uh, and along with that, we've got some logo work coming. We are almost done with what I would call a complete logo revision or revamp or creation because really we just had that nice little wood grain placeholder that you've all come to know and love uh if you're downloading the audio versions of this but uh our good friend will has been hard at work for uh over a month creating some really fantastic logo work that you will see uh certainly on the video podcast but also in some other formats that we're pretty excited about so that all that work is going to come over the next couple of weeks um look for it follow um brett of course you can follow on uh, the film room on youtube um on Twitter as well. You can follow me on Twitter at the draftsman FB as in football, all the good stuff will be posted there on our social feeds or on the YouTube channel. As it breaks, you'll see it there as well. But uh season is very few days away. What is it? Eight days away now. Yeah. God. Yeah. It, it doesn't, doesn't even seem no, possible that without a preseason. Just, it doesn't even feel like it. Yeah. Preseason has definitely ramped down the hype factor, but it is still coming folks. Uh, eight days away, the NFL season, we are going to have, if you think we have content now, we're going to have plenty of things to talk about once, uh, you know, live bullets start flying in real action, uh, games that count right away. Um, who can get up to speed the fastest. So, Uh, Keep it tuned to Bootleg Football. We will have plenty for you. And until then, stay safe, and we will talk to you soon. Later. Later.